They say the best things in life are free. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus states, freely you've received, freely give. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is for free. We are a not-for-profit adult religious re-education ministry, helping folks rediscover and understand the teachings of the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you'd like to help us do what we do, I'll tell you how you can become a supporter of Renewed Heart Ministries after this. But for now, it's our hope that as you listen, your heart will be renewed, and inspired to embody the beautiful values and teachings of the Jesus story. Till the only world that remains is a world where love reigns. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to this week's weekly podcast. Our title this week is The Blind Leading the Blind. Our feature text is Sayings Gospel Q 6 verse 39, where it says, Can a blind person show the way to a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? Our our, uh, companion text, uh, Luke 6 39, he also told them this parable, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Uh, Matthew 15, 14, leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And Gospel of Thomas 34, Jesus says, if a blind person leads a blind person, both will fall into a pit. Now, the earliest record of a saying like the one that we're considering today is is more than 200 years older than the time of Jesus. It's from about 800 BCE to 200 BCE, and it's from the Upanishads, abiding in the midst of ignorance thinking themselves wise and learned, fools go aimlessly hither and thither like blind led by the blind. There are two other uh, early references to this metaphor. Um, One appears in North India and the other in Rome, um, and both are during the first century BCE. In North India, the Buddhist Pali Canon uh, recorded an oral tradition story in about 29 BCE. Suppose there were a row of blind men, each holding on to the one in front of him. The first one doesn't see, the middle one doesn't see, the last one doesn't see. In the same way, the statement of the Brahmins turns out to be a row of blind men, as it were. The first one doesn't see, the middle one doesn't see, and the last one doesn't see. In Rome, uh, a similar phrase is found in the writings of of Horace. Uh, He was a leading Roman lyric poet during uh, the time of Augustus, who lived from 65 BCE to 8 BCE, and uh, in his epistles 1, 17, 3-4, Uh, He talks about, and it's in Latin, but the English translation is the blind leader of the blind. Now, the Jewish community that treasured the sayings of Jesus and sayings Gospel Q included this metaphor as one that Jesus used. And and we'll look at Luke and Matthew's versions of this saying in just a moment. But first, Jesus wasn't talking about, and just to state the obvious, physical blindness. He was talking about perception, or ignorance rather, or an unwillingness to learn. And the danger that this becomes when one is in a position of influence with others. And I've experienced this personally just this year in my small town here in Lewisburg, West Virginia, and I've also experienced it statewide here in West Virginia. Uh, I've witnessed ignorant leaders influencing the masses that have followed them, inciting them to be uh, afraid of those that they're unwilling to genuinely see uh, for who they are. At the end of, of last year, our local city council began the process of updating the city's non-discrimination ordinance. Lewisburg's non-discrimination ordinance already included 
uh, non-discrimination uh, based on race and gender, sex, and religion. But the city felt that uh, there was a need to also include gender identification and sexual orientation to, to broaden the current non-discrimination ordinance to include uh, members of the LGBTQ community. And this effort came when a, a coal miner with, with over a, a decade of employment was hazed, a vehicle was vandalized, um, and, and then ultimately he was fired after getting married when the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage last summer. In West Virginia, a person can be evicted um, from their housing or, or fired from their job just because of their orientation. And, and during the campaign to change this ordinance, one or to update this ordinance, one of the council members asked my wife and and myself, um, every person, uh, she said, is someone's child. And how would you like your child to be treated? And regardless of what differences may exist among people, everyone should have a fair chance to 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 qualify for for work and to provide for themselves and to have a safe roof over their head at night and and my family believes that um, um not just for our own children but for for everyone not long after that con- conversation a, a local minister in the largest baptist church in lewisburg began to incite his congregation to fear choosing not to to, to perceive members uh, of the LGBTQ community for who they were. He, he instead began a, a campaign of dehumanization and mischaracterization. And, and out-of-town lobbyists were invited in, and rallies were held, and signs were placed all over town. And the message, like, like Seth Brundle's in the 1986 horror film The Fly, was be afraid, be very, very afraid. And, and some of the most moral and ethically upstanding people I know belong to our local LGBTQ community. So the minister's campaign was nothing short of slander. But the folks here in small town West Virginia, some of them, well, many of them, don't have the exposure or the education to be able to see people unlike them for them, uh, themselves for themselves. Um, and this is a, a, classic, a classic example of what we're looking at this week, of the blind leading the blind. And, and despite that, that rampant misinformation and February of this year, our city council unanimously voted to update our city's non-discrimination policy. And I'm also happy to say that that it's been over a month now, and our sleepy little town uh, in West Virginia uh, now has this uh, non-discrimination ordinance, and the world has not come to an end. And after this decision, though, a lot of the people who were working locally to incite fear and misinformation, they moved their effort to the state level to try and undo the local vote. And lobbyists got legislators to introduce a a new bill uh, that was a a West Virginia version of the religious freedom bills that have been popping up all over the U.S. And over and over again, those responsible for this bill denied that their bill was was connected to the discrimination ordinance, but that simply, they said it was simply just designed to restore religious freedom that they claimed had been lost, and yet they couldn't show where it had been lost or how it had been lost. And, And this new bill passed in the state house but was voted down in the senate what made the difference was key that the, the senate amended the bill to state that its uh, provisions could not be used to undermine uh, non-discrimination ordinances in the name of religious liberty in other words they said yes we're going to provide religious liberty but you can't use that liberty you can't discriminate against someone um, and, and claim it's it's your sincerely held religious belief to to do so and as soon as they made that amendment the legislators then dropped the bill 
uh, which proves that it had nothing to do with religious liberty. It, it was rather, it was only designed to give people a legal loophole for continuing discrimination against others in the name of their sincerely held religious belief. And yes, each person should be free in matters between themselves and their God, with at least one exception, when one sincerely held religious belief endangers another human being. One is never free to practice those beliefs. Once, uh, child sacrifice was considered a, a sincerely held religious belief. And, and for some people, racism is still a sincerely held religious belief. Subjugation of women is a sincerely held religious belief. And homophobia and heterosexism are, are also sincerely held religious beliefs. And, and religion has done good, but religion has also done great harm. And we must encourage the good uh, while we limit the harm and the freedom to practice what one believes is a value uh, that must be held subject to the greater value of do no harm to one's neighbor. And anyone that our, our religious beliefs would endanger has the right to be protected from our sincerely held religious beliefs. And while we possess freedom of religion, uh, they also possess the right to live uh, in freedom from our religion. So, so what does this have to do with the blind leading the blind? Well, I, I took a day to go and visit my state capitol and speak directly with my local representatives in both the House and the Senate about our religious freedom bill. And what I was overwhelmed with as I left that day, besides the, the disillusionment uh, with the system, but, but was how blind at least two of the three representatives, our local representatives, had been in understanding what really was behind this bill. O only one of the three really understood. And the truth did eventually come out. But, but in the meantime, the depth of ignorance and lack of exposure of my local and state leaders uh, left me just speechless. In both secular civil governments and religious faith and worship, the metaphor of the blind leading the blind is at times overwhelmingly appropriate. Now, now, there are plenty of instances in first century Palestine where Jesus could have applied this metaphor. It could have been the faithful, radical zealots who felt the only way to liberate Palestine from Roman domination was through violence. Jesus would have been teaching nonviolence as opposed to that. Um, the, the, another example would be Jerusalem-centered aristocracy, and who, who, in order to preserve their own place in society, they co-opted the, the, the temple to add uh, religious legitimacy to Rome's imperialization. We see Jesus um, opposing both uh, uh, imperialism and, and religious uh, uh, endorsement of imperialism in his activities on the triumphal entry in the story and him overturning turning the tables. Uh, the, he could have used it with the wealthy elite who failed to, to share their surplus with the poor, and instead they used their capital to exploit the poor and make even greater wealth. Or he could have used it towards uh, the group of Pharisees and hence Sanhedrin uh, who, who subscribed to the teachings of the school of Shammai, who, who not only drew strict lines between Jews and Gentiles, but also drew lines between themselves and other Jewish people that they perceived to not be orthodox enough. Now, how do Matthew and Luke show Jesus using this parable? Luke includes this as one of Jesus' sayings in the body of teachings that scholars call the Sermon on the Plain. This is Luke 6, 39-40. He also told them this parable, Can the blind lead the blind? 
Will not they both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Matthew does something quite different with it, though, and in his use of this saying begins with Mark's underlying narrative, and this will take a moment to unpack. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus contrasts physical defilement with ritual defilement, and the text mistakenly claims that all the Jews, Mark mistakenly claims, that all the Jews do not eat eat without first washing their hands. And this is historically untrue. Um, The later Mark and Matthew, knowing this to be untrue, they try to correct the error um, by leaving it out. And and you can compare Mark 7 with Mark Matthew 15 and Luke 11, 37 through 41. But in fact, among the Pharisees, only the Pharisees of the school of Shammai would have washed their hands before eating. And, and only the and this is because only the priest, really, according to both Hillel and Shammai, were required to wash their hands before eating their food. And that is the rest of the people who were not priests, who were not legally required to wash their hands, they didn't. And, and the stricter Pharisees, they chose to conduct themselves like priests, believing that they also held a, a scholarly position in Jerusalem of, of religion, in, in in, in, in that religious hierarchy. So it was not a, a requirement for all the Jews during Jesus' time, but it was a way of, of uh, separating and, and causing division and, and, and uh, disconnecting from others and showing yourself to be higher up, in the at least in the religious pyramid, in the scholar pyramid. But by refusing to wash his hands in the presence of the Pharisees, this, this specific sector of Pharisees, Jesus was making a political statement. And I believe he was aligning himself with the common people of his day as opposed to the religious elite. In all three Gospels, Jesus turns the discussion from washing his hands to the religious, uh, religiously justified oppression of the poor by the wealthy, the, the religious elite of his day. And as we've discussed in previous weeks, the religious elite included the priests and some of the wealthy Pharisees. And this is where our saying from Matthew comes in this week. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And he replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. The context of of this saying in, in our most Jewish gospel, which is Matthew, is Jesus's preferential option for the poor, the common people, and even those that were judged as unorthodox. And we can pair this week's metaphor of blindness to the one we discussed last week of deafness. The inability or the unwillingness to, to, to listen to stories of those whose experience is different than your own is what these metaphors, I believe, are describing. And, and, and we have to ask the question, could, it, could the cure for sociopolitical blindness, um, could that be not something for our eyes, but in using our ears to listen to those stories of those unlike ourselves? Uh, but by listening, um, our eyes can be opened and we can begin to hear with our ears and see with our eyes and understand with our hearts and our blindness can be healed. And, and this is the language that's used by Isaiah in Isaiah 6.10 and Matthew 13, 14 through 17, Mark 4.12, uh, Luke 8.10 and John 
1240. And I believe that those who desire to follow the teachings of that first century Jewish Jesus of Nazareth, they, we, we must learn to listen to each other. Especially, we must learn to listen to those who, as in Jesus' time, are, are presently being marginalized and subjugated by social structures of privilege. And we must learn to, to stop debating about people who are being oppressed by the status quo and begin listening to them instead. Those interested in leaning into this exercise of listening, um, I want to consider beginning with listening to the experience of people of color. Uh, There are people, uh, there are demographics, other demographics that you could start with, but this would be an excellent first step, especially in the the political climate presently. The three books that I can recommend to get you started on your journey of listening are all three by the same author. The first one is The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James H. Cohn. The second one is God of the Oppressed. And the third one is A Black Liberation Theology, the 40th Anniversary Edition, all three by James H. Cohn. As we use our ears, our eyes become opened. And the cure for for healing our eyes is in letting others have our ears and thereby access to our hearts. In the words of Jesus in Sayings Gospel Q, can a blind person show the way to a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? Heart group application this week. One of the purposes of heart groups is to facilitate a space where we can begin to learn how to listen to each other. And even uh, this, though, is not enough. Too often, the groups that we listen to are the ones that we most identify with. In other words, we listen to people who are most like ourselves. And this can create an ideological feedback loop that becomes precious little more than, than philosophical inbreeding. And the type of listening that cures our blindness is when we listen to those those who are unlike us, especially those that are harmed by the way things are. So this week, I want to invite your heart group to, number one, together, watch the recently released film, Enough Room at the Table. You can access the film at a link that I'll put in the e-site. It'll only cost you 99 cents to watch it together. And that's an, that's unbelievably affordable. I mean, we're talking a dollar. And then number two, I want you to discuss with your group after watching the film, how your group could begin taking steps to become more diverse, um, to to have stories in it that are are, um, not like your own, and and list the steps that you discuss. And then number three, I want you to pick one item on your list of steps to experiment with putting into practice this week. Thank you once again for joining us this week. We'll continue with Sayings Gospel Q next week, but until then, keep living in love till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. you once again for listening. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is for free. Even our educational seminars that we do in various venues, we are a not-for-profit religious re-education ministry. If you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift or you can become one of our monthly contributors by going to www.renewedheartministries.com and clicking the donate tab at the top right. Or you can mail your contributions to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 
888-242-24901. Make sure you also sign up for our, our free resources. And remember, every little bit helps. And, and as always, anything we receive above and beyond our annual budget, we gladly give away to other charities that are making uh, both systemic and personal differences, significant differences in the lives of the poor. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of RHM, we simply could not do this uh, without you. From all of us here at Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you.